This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 70 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarasi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Anne Savage, who's the CEO of the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. There you go. I got it. How are you, Anne? I'm fantastic. How are you, Brendan? Yeah, great this morning. And um, look, thanks so much for coming on. Can you explain, just we'll go back to basics, what is prostate cancer and then we'll get into what the foundation does? Of course. So prostate cancer develops when abnormal cells in the prostate gland grow in an uncontrolled way, uh, forming malignant tumours. And the threat there is that if they spread outside the prostate to other areas such as the bones or lymph nodes, they can do a lot of damage. And like how many Australians are sort of affected by this? Many, many men. So it's Australia's most common cancer and yep. it's almost now 25,000 men a year who are newly diagnosed with the disease in addition to around a quarter of a million Australian men who are alive today after a diagnosis of the disease at some point in the past 40 years. So the, the prevalence of the disease is significant. Yeah. And so too is the number of men who are newly diagnosed every single year. And so I guess the equivalent, I mean, sorry for putting in layman's term, but so the equivalent for females would be breast cancer and this is the male form would that would that be sort of fair to say or they are the two big ones yeah you know worldwide yeah. certainly breast and prostate cancer the most common respectively for men and women and it tends to be a contest between breast and prostate cancer in terms of which one is the leading form of cancer diagnosed in larger uh, industrial populations around the world so for men can you give us like What's the best practice? Like how often should you get a screen? What age? Um, like walk us through what men should be doing because I know most blokes, they probably put their, I mean, this is a stereotype, but they put their head in the sand. It's not happening to me. What can we do to be a bit more proactive and, and um, take charge of our health? There are lots of things that we can do both as individuals and as a community. I'll, I'll begin by just saying that what PCFA is currently doing is reviewing the existing guidelines on PSA testing for men. And, and that at the moment is our primary defence. That's the best mechanism we have for detecting the disease early and then treating it, you know, before it gets the chance to spread outside the prostate and do real damage. So the PSA test is a simple blood test. Any GP can order it. And at the moment, the guidelines recommend that men over the age of 40 or 45 with a family history of prostate cancer uh, consider PSA testing uh, once they hit that age. For men with no family history at an average risk with no symptoms, the current recommendations suggest uh, testing from the age of 50. Mm. Now, we've pulled together an expert panel, currently reviewing all the evidence on that to make new and revised recommendations. So at the moment, we're checking what the evidence says 
um, we're looking at the very latest data, at, at the very latest methods of treating the disease, and we're trying to figure out a new way forward. Because what we know at the moment is that very few men are aware of what the current guidelines say. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, uh, many men are being diagnosed with the disease late completely unnecessarily. So we need to radically improve awareness. And it's important for men to understand, um, like I was saying, what their family history is. So if they've got a father or a brother, a direct male relative who has ever been diagnosed with prostate cancer, that places men at, a, at an increased risk, a significantly increased risk. So double the risk if you've got one direct male relative who's been diagnosed and a five-fold increased risk if you've got two or more relatives who've been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So uh, if, you, if you're in the group that maybe doesn't have, um, you mentioned prostate cancer, you were saying from age 50, what are some of the symptoms that men should be looking for? Like what would be a, I know it's hard to diagnose for everyone, but just what are some sort of general things that guys need to look out for? Yeah, and here is where it gets really tricky because at its earliest stages, prostate cancer will have no symptoms. So men cannot afford to be complacent about this disease. And a lot of men, when they're newly diagnosed, will just say it blindsided them. They had no symptoms. They had no idea. You know, it was just this rising PSA level from a blood test that tipped them off. When you do have symptoms, it tends to be because it's spread beyond the prostate and, and starts to do damage and you feel it. So what you might feel is, for example, a niggling hip injury, a pain in the pelvis or in the groin, or you might have symptoms like blood in your urine or your semen. Mm. The other really common symptom that we see is changes in urination um, patterns, frequency, flow, difficulties and challenges and problems associated with that. Uh, so those are all the things that men need to look out for. And, and I mean, keeping in mind too that oftentimes um, some of these symptoms can be a part of the ageing process. Aging, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so where the, <coughs> excuse me, where the prostate will enlarge as men get older and it can cause some challenges, uh, you know, a rising PSA level and those symptoms do not always suggest prostate cancer, but you cannot afford to take a risk. So we do recommend that men get a PSA test. So for, I mean, I think there's awareness that for guys when they're 50, they should get an annual checkup. I'm just wondering on the GP side, is this something that they are naturally um, screening for? Like it? I guess my question is around like it's a twofold education process, right? You've got the actual uh, men themselves, but then on the on the GP or the medical side, are they have they got the awareness as well to to be screening for these things? Yeah, and you're quite on point there because look, there are some GPs who are wonderful, who are incredibly vigilant, and who do routinely work this in to health checkups for men in those at-risk age brackets. And then there are some GPs who are less aware, you know, who may still recommend against PSA testing, arguing that the, you know, the harms can outweigh the benefits. And that's outdated information based on, you know, outdated evidence, which is now, you know, 10 years old. Things have changed a lot since then. Um, you know, the GPs who tend to recommend against it are reflecting on an era where um, there, there was a pattern of overtreatment in Australia and elsewhere in the world. 
And that meant that many men with low risk forms of prostate cancer, well, and that's forms that are slow growing and unlikely to do harm in a man's lifetime, uh, were undergoing in, in invasive surgeries with mm. which left them with fairly serious side effects of, of the treatment. And that's something we always want to avoid. Over the years, we've gotten far better at minimising any risks of overtreatment and overdiagnosis to the point where around 80% of low-risk prostate cancers today go straight on to active surveillance. Mm. So we will not take action unless we have reason to believe, uh, based on scans and imaging and tests, that the, the cancer itself will do damage. So prostate cancer is an incredibly complex cancer and it behaves a little differently to some of the other types of uh, high-risk cancers. Mm. So, like, I get that there's a genetic risk. Is there something that um, men can be doing on a lifestyle basis to, I don't know, decrease their chances of getting prostate cancer? We wish we had a way of preventing it, I'll put it that way, and that's why research is so important. What we do know is that if you are in better shape, if, if you maintain a healthy diet and lifestyle, if you do happen to be diagnosed, you know, the likelihood that you will respond to treatment um, more, you know, more effectively is increased. Um, you'll, yeah. you'll cope better with the treatment and you can minimise you know, the risks of recurrence of the disease after a diagnosis if you maintain a healthy diet and lifestyle. So those things are very important. And we would always recommend it, you know, get regular exercise, eat healthy food, avoid risky drinking or smoking altogether. Um, those are really important things and can make all the difference. Uh, what we have seen in, uh, in studies that are emerging right now is that exercise can, in fact, improve a man's response to treatment, you know, the stimulation uh, can be incredibly helpful. So that's important. And we also know that prehabilitation and rehabilitation are vital after a man has undergone initial treatment. You know, for men with um, prostate cancers who elect to have surgery, the prostatectomy, um, pelvic floor exercises become very important in strengthening, you know, the, the, the urinary muscles and stuff to enable full return of continence and, and reduce the, the side effects of undergoing that surgery. So, Anne, I wanted to ask, um, clearly you're very passionate about what you do and you're leading this wonderful foundation. How did you get involved with um, with this? Yeah, interesting. I, um, I was with Cancer Council Queensland for a decade uh, and, you know, I guess that's kind of where I draw my experience from. Um, I've always worked predominantly in advocacy. Um, it's impossible not to be passionate about the work that we do. Certainly, I, um, I'll never forget starting uh, work for uh, a non-profit organisation and really appreciating the profound difference that we can make in the lives of the people we support. Mm. And I guess it's, um, it's hard to go back from there. Uh, you know, it's, uh, like I said, it's impossible not to want to jump out of bed and do this work every day because there are just so many people who, who do need our help. And Look, it's certainly uh, gratifying uh, to, to see the difference that we can make when we do things effectively. Um, the stuff that keeps me going is seeing how often that doesn't happen, really, and knowing that all of us need to keep working towards change and um, mm. contribute where we can. 
So how many um, how many people are involved on a full-time basis in the foundation? And then maybe we can talk about if there's any volunteers and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, we, we punch above our weight. So we're relatively small, uh, yep. you know, compared to a lot of other national organisations with the footprint that we have. So we have around 35 staff nationally mm -hmm. in different offices around the country and all of us are working our guts out yep. to, um, to meet the, the rising demand for our services and support. And, you know, we are all proud to say that over the past three years we've vastly expanded our um, the work that we do in service areas, including the launch of a nationwide telenursing service and a no-cost cancer counselling service for men, their partners and their families, mm. these very serious things. You know, in addition to that, we, we fund and manage and administrate more than 100 prostate cancer specialist nurses around the country, and that's a, a massive program of work in conjunction with cancer centres, with hospitals, with radiation clinics, um, you know, wherever people are being treated for prostate cancer, we have a presence and we're very proud of that. Oh, um, that's amazing. And so, yeah. so these are specialist nurses that are focused on prostate cancer? Correct, yeah, and it really is a highly specialised field. I can't tell you the difference that it makes to... Mm you know, be in the care of a nurse who, you know, understands the intricacies of surgery and having a catheter and, and what these types of things in, involve for men. Mm. Um, and then, you know, our nurses support men not just in the lead-up to their initial treatment and then in the days after that, but also in the weeks, months and years afterwards because many men will continue on lifelong treatments for prostate cancer you know, the, the footprint of this disease, the burden of the disease at the individual level for men and their families, but also on our health system is, is fairly high. Mm. In, in fact, it's one of the most uh, costly cancers to treat in this country, 1.35 billion a year. Wow. Uh, yeah, okay. it's massive. It's massive. And so does the foundation get its funding from federal or state government? How, do, how does that whole model work where you're, you're making this amazing impact, but Clearly that costs money, so it's got to come from somewhere. Uh, it does, absolutely, and that's the great challenge for any CEO, I guess. So our um, prostate cancer specialist nursing program is um, co-funded, so partly funded by the Federal Department of Health. Mm -hmm. um, the, the other components of funding are really just drawn from the community, which is amazing. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then also from events like Dry July, which is coming up, um, you know, one of our are big ones as a nation. Uh, and, and then, you know, community events and activities and individual fundraisers and supporters around the nation, you know, the people who donate to us directly through mail appeals and things like that, you know, those are the people who carry us on their shoulders and we're incredibly grateful. Um, you know, through that COVID period, all, all non-profit organisations were concerned about, you know, our, our existence mm. and whether we would survive. And we were fortunate to be held up by all those kind people. You know, I remember, recall days where I was the, the only person manning the office, you know, keeping the server running and coordinating staff as they were working from home and receiving mail to the door with, um, you know, lovely people, retirees in their homes, sending us, you know, $5 notes or $10 notes in the mail. And you yeah. never forget that sort of kindness. And then, you know, it also teaches you to value every single dollar that people mm. contribute. Um, but, and many of these people were giving, 
you know, the last few dollars they may have had to spare was were coming our way. So we don't uh, take that for granted. We're very careful about how we invest our money and making a difference in, in men's lives. So it's almost like you have to be, I mean, you're a not-for-profit, but you're really a marketing organisation as well because you, you have to get your message out there and you have to attract funds and it, sound, it sounds complicated and challenging. It, yeah, it absolutely is. I, I think, you know, and people sort of, you know, the question for CEOs, what's the greatest challenge for you and your organisation moving forward? And, and as the world has become more complex and grown, the biggest challenge for me is speaking to every single one of our supporters and the men who need us as though they are an individual, mm. you know, knowing their stories, appreciating uh, why they need to be heard and giving them that opportunity. Mm. And, and that's always, you know, a part of this quote-unquote marketing process. Um, you know, to me it's more about how do you engage with people, how do you show them that you care, that you, how do you, you know, create awareness and provide education where it's necessary. And, you know, what the, 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 the staggering effect that it can have just to understand the disease that you have, you know, so to be given the information clinically about what it's doing can help to alleviate some of the uncertainty and concern. There's nothing more distressing than feeling like your life is completely out of your control because, you know, you may have these cancerous cells running around your body doing untold damage and the, mm. the nervousness and anxiety that that can cause is just harrowing. You know, so the important role that we play in you know, sending out survivorship kits, 150,000 kits a year, going into clinics and waiting rooms to family members and loved ones. You know, we um, we never stop. It's Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, well, that's how I found you guys. I got an email about um, a, a personal story of one of your one of your um, people that you helped. Is that kind of a a typical way where you get the message out? Because it kind of, I think the I think it was was it Phil's story or um, I, I'm just going from memory here, but I just thought, oh, this is like it's not something I know. Like I'm 51, I don't know much about it, and then I'm like, oh, this is something that I need to try and amplify a little bit because I'm if I don't know much about it I'm pretty sure there's lots of other people that don't know much about yeah, it so you're absolutely correct Brendan you're probably thinking about Phil Jones there who is um you know wonderful he's actually a support network member a patient and also a prostate cancer nurse on the Gold Coast oh amazing yeah Queensland. He's got, the trif got the trifecta he really yeah. did and you know that's why he's certainly such an inspiration you talk to him and it's um uh, it's something else. But, look, stories are important and and that's because, you know, most of us understand and navigate our lives through, you know, nobody wants to read times of text in a library to try and understand. You, you know, it's it, it's that sort of human-centred focus of communicating through other people's narrative and drawing strength from, from what others have gone through, uh, whether that's bad times or good, you know, so not shying away from that either. And a lot of men tell us that, so we've got to present that sort of balance of information. Uh, and, and we're also careful not to minimise the disease, which has happened for too many years where, you know, men are sort of told you'll die with it, not from it. You know, that doesn't help. You know, you've got a mm. lot of guys who might be going through treatment which is brutal and unforgiving and then being told, you know, toughen up, mate, you'll be right. 
Yeah. And that's one of the challenges of prostate cancer. Oftentimes, men who are potentially gravely ill with the disease don't don't look sick. It makes it hard for them to communicate how they're feeling and to, to ask for help. You know, um, the stoicism of the Australian male is revered and for good reason. Mm. Uh, but there are certainly times where I think we need to, you know, offer a shoulder. Yeah. Uh, and that that's kind of what we try to do as an organisation, I guess. So I'm just wondering, like, going back, I don't know, say 100 years, do you have any data around, like, was it a thing 100 years ago or were we just not aware of it? Is this a a modern time thing where we're, you know, science has has enabled us to detect this type of illness? Yeah, look, it's it's prostate cancer is is certainly, you know, a disease that has... um, I mean, the, the the prevalence of the disease has increased as we've evolved, um, and, and that's for the good reason that people are living longer now, and this is yeah. primarily a disease of, you know, the risk of ageing is the big one with prostate and most cancers, you know. So as we've seen life expectancies increase, we've seen many more men survive a whole bunch of other things that may have killed them yeah. 100 years ago or more, you, you know, um, being eaten by a bear or whatever. So certainly, um, you know, it's affecting more men and that's usually actually a measure of wellness. Um, what I can say too in Australia is, you know, you look at some of the patterns here compared to uh, low and middle income countries where, you know, lung cancer and the toll that tobacco continues to take because, the, you know, they're trying to catch up on legislation to prevent tobacco-related harms. So we as a nation are hopefully heading towards a phasing out of the, you know, tragic trend of tobacco-related deaths. Um, but but this does sort of mean that you see generational shifts in patterns and things, and prostate cancer is a great example of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it becomes far more common uh, as men age. And, and so, yes, certainly, you know, we'll we'll continue to to see this happen. But what I, what I can also say is that research has come so far that we're not that far away from being able to beat this one, and that's our great hope. Is you know that we will be able to eliminate avoidable deaths in our lifetime if we just keep up the pace of research and accelerate it. Oh, that's that's amazing. So I'm curious to hear what are your like. There's so much work that you're doing. Um, What's on the agenda for the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia, say, in the next 12 to 24 months? You, you mentioned more research. Is there any other sort of major goals that um, you're trying to achieve? Yeah, we've got some really big ones, in fact. I mean, we set out a little while ago to try and double the funding for prostate cancer research in this country, and that's because at the moment it receives about half of the funding that goes to other comparable forms of, you know, high prevalence cancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a, you know, a detriment. We know we can do much better in terms of outcomes if we invest in that. The big one that I mentioned earlier is the review of the guidelines. And that's because uh, that will go hand in hand with a renewed approach to awareness of this disease. So, you know, a little while back, I went to do a comparison of, you know, Australia and other international comparable international jurisdictions on spending on prostate cancer awareness. And it was very difficult to compare our country because we really don't spend anything at the moment publicly. And that's a great shame. Uh, And that's because there have been many legacy issues, but we need to change that in order to shift 
the, the thinking around prostate cancer. It's a disease that's still highly stigmatised. You know, and an example, a, a gentleman I was talking to who had been recently diagnosed was telling me he had, uh, it, you know, confirmed for his HR team at work that he'd been diagnosed with prostate cancer and they offered to keep it a secret. Mm. And he said, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah. Uh, but the point is that this stigma still exists yeah. uh, and, and we need to obliterate it and that's got to be a part of our work. And we all know that, you know, educating, informing, raising awareness, all of these things are critical to, to helping overcome that stigma. We st- still see a lot of young guys joking on our Facebook page and stuff about, you know, the finger test and, and different things. And those are, you know, the, the finger test now is not used in primary practice, mm-hmm. but it has led to a stigmatization of the disease, fears about testing for it, and this oh. sort of bury your head in the sand kind of approach. Yeah. And we, we've come a long way, but we've got a long way to go yet. So those are a couple of the big things for us, along with the continued expansion of our nursing services so that you know, all men who are newly diagnosed get access to the support they need. And then those men in the years afterwards who are struggling have access to the services and support that they need. Uh, And we will also keep advocating for new medicines and treatments to be listed so that men can afford care. You know, Mm. nobody should die because they can't afford the the cancer treatment that they need. That's a really high priority for us. Well, Anne, thank you so much for coming on the show today to um, share this important issue. Um, I'm going to say to all the listeners out there, the male listeners, to don't delay if you're over 40. Um, just just do regular testing, it sounds like. That's your best, like, the best thing you can really do to to catch this thing early. If it, You know, not trying to scare anyone, but it, it's like you're much better off being um, proactive rather than sort of reactionary. Yep, be invested, get tested, know your family history, talk to your GP, insist yep. on a PSA test, and if you if you do notice any symptoms or anything change, no matter how small, get yep. it checked out. Don't take a chance. It's just not worth it. Yeah, that's great. Well, Anne, could you also just share um, the Foundation's website so if people want to find out a little bit more, they can they can um, go on and get some, some information? They sure can. They can jump onto www.pcfa for Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia, pcfa.org.au, or people can call us anytime, free call on 1-800-2200-99. And we've got telenurses available to answer any questions about testing risks or um, treatment and therapies. Excellent. Well, thanks so much again. Thank you so much, Brendan. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to an ohs.com.au production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.